Welcome in to Ohio versus the world, an exclusive Ohio sports podcast where I discuss primarily the Ohio State Buckeyes, as well as some discussion on the Browns, Cavaliers, Indians, Blue Jackets, Crew, Bengals, Reds, and more. I'm your host, Jacob Wilson, not joined by my usual guest, Stephen, as he is sick this week. That's why this podcast is also a day late, but joined by my good friend, Kyle Ghost. I'm the host of, what are you the host of, Kyle? Yeah, I actually um, have my own radio show. It starts, uh, started about three or four weeks ago, airs every Wednesday at three. It's called uh, KG at three on Scarlet and Gray Sports Radio. Sweet, man. Sweet. So this will be some good practice for when I come on there tomorrow, since we'll basically be yes, talking sir. about the yes, same sir. thing. Uh, but yeah, so we're going to obviously talk about Ohio State blowing out Michigan. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about some playoff scenarios, talk about the Browns uh, beating the Bengals and maybe anything else that just comes up while we're talking. Maybe talk a little bit of Ohio State basketball mm-hmm. and a few other things. So if that sounds good to you. Yes, sir. Let's get it rolling. All right, dope, man. Yeah, Ohio State, this is awesome. Um, I'm sad I'm only getting to this like three or four days after it happened, but Ohio State blows out Michigan 62-39. I usually got a ton of bullet points here, but I'm not prepared today, so I don't know what direction you want to go with this, but, man, it feels good. Ohio State blows up that blows out that team up north, and I'm feeling good about it. Yeah, I think the only direction we can go here with this, man, is that's probably the best performance Ohio State's ever had against the Michigan team in the shoe, you know? Yeah, I mean, it was great. We've seen some blowouts over the past 15 years or so where we've dominated them, but those blowouts have been when we were expected to blow them out or the much better team. And this this is one of the – this win just felt so good because this Ohio State team was – I mean, a lot of people were expecting Michigan to blow us out, and the exact opposite happens. We just completely destroy them. And, I mean, this was a Michigan team that had everything to play for. They had their playoffs in front of them. If they win this game, they're most likely beating Northwestern, going to the playoffs. They could get their first win under Jim Harbaugh. They could have gave Urban Meyer his first defeat against Michigan. Um, yeah, and they could have flipped the script on these last 15 years where Ohio State's won 14 out of 15, which is just a crazy stat if you think about it. So Michigan had everything to play for. They had all the motivation. They had all the pressure on them, and they really just – I mean, they collapsed under that pressure, and Ohio State just destroyed them. Yeah, I know, I know when you think uh, going into this game, uh, you think about the scenarios that were likely, you know, you think of Ohio State struggling defense, Michigan's budding offense, and then on the other hand, you think of Ohio State's <clears throat> struggling offensive line and Michigan's number one defense. This mm-hmm. score, you know, wasn't one that I'm sure too many would have predicted. If anything, I had uh, Ohio State winning 28-24, uh, scoring 62 points on the number one defense in the country. That's something that just just cannot go unnoticed, you know? Yeah, I mean, it was just crazy. It's, I mean, I'm still kind of in shock about it. it. I mean, when it was happening, I was in shock. I was like, is this even real? Like, am I just dreaming right now? I mean, the last thing I expected was 62 points. This was the number one. This is a defense that was so far, by far, the number one defense in the nation. They're still the number one defense, even after letting 62 points up this week. They're still the number one defense. So that's how far ahead they were above number two. So, this was the number one defense in the country by far, and Ohio State just out-athlete them. They just destroyed them, and they could have scored a lot more. They kicked two field goals on the one-yard line, and they also took a knee on the five-yard line towards the end of the game. So they could have easily put up, like, almost 80 points on this team. Yeah, and I think this game really um, goes to show that Michigan's really been, even with the uh, addition of Shea Patterson and Chris Higdon and uh, – or Karan Higdon and Chris Evans coming back this year, that offense is still struggling, man. That pro-style offense that Jim Harbaugh instituted, uh, you know, <clears throat> it's really it's really covered up by how good that defense is, you know? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I, they, Yeah, they kind of run that old-school football no. still, and I just don't know if that's the way to go, if that's the way that they should continue going because, I mean, yeah, Shea Patterson's a running quarterback. For the, most part, for the most part, they play a pro-style offense, like you said. They run the ball up the middle a lot. Um, they throw it kind of they kind of just throw up deep balls to their uh, tall wide receivers kind of old school and they just play good defense they really just do it the old school way and I think in a way this was a game of kind of new school football versus old school football and as much as I love old school football and I love watching those nine to six big ten matchups when that's the score nine to six or something crazy like that um, it's just not the way to go anymore you gotta get you gotta get with the times and you gotta go new school and that's kind of what Ohio State did to them they just beat them with speed and they just beat them with uh, athleticism yeah, and you mentioned speed right there. That's what really stood out to me in this mm-hmm. game. Uh, you know, you look at the perimeter for Ohio State, you got Paris Campbell, Johnny Dixon. There's no one on Michigan's defense that was even close to Paris Campbell's athletic ability or speed. You know, you saw that with that 83-yard 
I know they called that it. They ended up calling that a touchdown pass, mm-hmm. didn't they? The little pass there. Yeah, yeah. That was. I think that was <clears throat> the sealer. You know, besides the the blocked punt, um, that play right there, I think was a monumental play in the game. But it also spoke volume, speaks volumes about uh, the difference in speed and athleticism still between Ohio State and Michigan. Those are the kind of players that Urban Meyer has chosen to recruit. You know. Maybe more of that SEC speed, which is something that you don't see necessarily in the North. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, Michigan's still trying to play that old school football, and they're not too worried about speed. And I honestly thought they'd be able to play that way and beat us. And I mean, everyone was predicting Michigan to uh, beat us. And I guess people just underestimated how how important speed is. And I mean, you kind of saw that in Ohio State in the national championship against Florida in 2006. Everyone was predicting Ohio State to win. They played that old school football. Florida had that speed and. That's kind of when the narrative of speed started in college football. That was when everyone started saying speed's very important. And you kind of saw it. That was an Urban Meyer coach team in Florida, too. And you kind of saw it here. Urban Meyer recruits a lot of speed. And speed just speed kills, as they say, as the saying goes. Uh, yeah, and it, it was really important in this game. And like you said, that Paris Campbell touchdown, that I mean, that play right there, that's just speed. That's all that touchdown comes down to is Paris Campbell being 10 times faster than everyone on that Michigan defense. So, yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, you even look back at the – 2014 game versus Alabama, mm-hmm. you know, Zeke, Jalen Marshall, Dontrell Wilson, Curtis Samuel, those guys were much faster than the cornerbacks that Alabama had and the linebackers too. And I think that's one of the reasons that we came out with that 42 to 28 win. What do you think uh, the effect was Michigan not having Rashawn Gary and, you know, <clears throat> Chase Vinovich on that defense? Yeah. I mean, Rashawn Gary, I'm trying to think of Rashawn Gary. Who was the one that got hurt? It was Devin Bush, right? Like he got hurt during the game. Yeah. And then Chase Winovich yeah, was, it uh, was. Yeah, it was Devin Bush. I just know that uh, Vinovich didn't play and uh, Gary didn't either, I believe. No, they, I think they both played, but they were both just like, they're both ineffective because they were probably still a little bit hurt, I think. Okay. But yeah, I mean, they both played, but like you said, in a way they didn't play because you didn't hear their name called once. Like Chase Winovich was obviously the one that coined the term the revenge tour, and he was the one talking all the trash coming into this game. And then. He just didn't yep. do anything, so it was funny to see. But, yeah, Rashawn Gary and Chase, I believe they both played, but they didn't do anything. Chase Winovich had, I think, one tackle for a loss the whole entire game, and I don't think uh, Gary did anything. And then, obviously, Devin Bush was their third best player on defense, and he got hurt. So, yeah, obviously that affects the game some. I don't want to put too much on that. Um, the fact that Michigan, their three best defensive players, two of them were playing maybe a little banged up, and one of them got banged up during the game, and he uh, ended up – I can't remember what the score was when – Devin Bush left the game, but he ended up getting hurt. So, yeah, I mean, I think that did have a lot to do with it. Like yeah, I think it was like 41 to 19. Yeah, yeah, that, that injury kind of sealed it. It was like we're already blowing them out and now their best defensive players out. That was that was big there. That definitely sealed a little bit. But, yeah, I think you got to put a lot in the fact that their three best players were a little banged up. Um, I don't want to put too much into it, though, because I think either way, High State wins that game. Yeah, I'm still trying to wrap my head around the fact that um, – you know, you go back and you look on almost all the possessions that Ohio State had. Dwayne Haskins w- was rarely even touched. You know, not a finger on him when he dropped back to pass or anything. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm still struggling to just understand how that happens, you know, last <clears throat> throughout the weeks of this season. We know that the offensive line has been a struggle, especially after the first three games. Um, I, I just – I'm on a loss for words at the improvement that I saw, you know, yeah. over the last – even just from last week versus Maryland, especially against the number one defense in the country who has such a great defensive line. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about this game. It's it's almost inexplicable what happened. I guess you maybe just put it down to raw emotions. But, yeah, I mean, the offensive line and the linebackers have been the two groups all year that uh, everyone's been calling out. They've really been struggling, and those two groups played amazing. The offensive line, uh, Dwayne Haskins didn't have a single hurry in this whole entire game, let alone get sacked. Didn't have a single hurry, which, I mean, usually you get, like, I mean, usually you get hurried on almost every single drop back. And then the whole game, he gets not a single hurry. And then the linebackers, they played amazing. Malik Harrison especially, he stepped up. was probably the defensive player of the game. And he got like nine tackles or something like that. He played absolutely amazing. He was filling gaps every time that Michigan tried to run up the middle or run to the side. So, yeah, those two position groups all year, they've been struggling. And then just out of nowhere in this game, the biggest game of the year, they step up, which I guess says a lot about them. Yeah, that um... – this just goes to show how great Dwayne Haskins is when he is given the time to throw. Yeah. I mean, six touchdowns over 400 yards passing. Um, 
when Dwayne Haskins is given time, I don't know if there's really anyone more accurate in the country. Yeah, I mean, six touchdowns and the, a game like this against the number one defense in the country. And, yeah, I mean, that's that. The fact that they're the number one defense in the country and we did this to them is just something that is still mind-boggling to a point. But uh, where else do you want to take this Take this uh, talk about Ohio State-Michigan? I want to take this time, uh, maybe turn it towards the Jim Harbaugh side. Yeah. Uh, you know, you think about going into this game, like you mentioned earlier, Michigan had all the momentum, man. I mean, Ohio State's down, you know, they've been out of it for almost the whole season going back to the suspension before the season even started. And you think about the loss to Purdue, loss to Purdue you know, barely escaping Nebraska, barely escaping Maryland. Ohio State hadn't had it all year. And if you're not going to beat Ohio State now, when is it going to happen? Uh, he's, he's 0-4, first Michigan coach to ever start 0-4 against Ohio State. You know, <clears throat> you think about – uh, his first two years, we say, oh, Jim Harbaugh didn't have his players yet. He didn't have his system all the way there. Well, man, he has his players. He has his system. And he takes his worst defeat in the in the rivalry yet. I think, I think that just, you know, speaks a lot on how Urban Meyer, how great of a coach he is, how, um, how he can get his guys to play their best biggest game of the season. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree with you. And that's kind of something I wanted to talk about. Obviously, like you said, this was a team that was supposed to come in here and beat the Buckeyes and he's had four years to get his players. And according to him, he does have his players. And last year it was, he didn't, he had his players besides quarterback, which is obviously the most important position, but now he even has his quarterback and he has all of his players and he has this amazing defense and he has all these amazing coordinators. He's got Don Brown. He's got Ed Warner. He's got all these people. And yeah, like you said, kind of what happened here. And I think some of it, I don't know how much you agree with this. comes down to just the emphasis on this game. Every single week, Ohio State prepares for this game. They prepare 90% for their opponent, and they prepare 10% for Michigan. Every time they do push-ups, every time they do anything, they always say beat Michigan. I mean, everything's about Michigan. Everything's about I mean, Michigan. the whole scout team is covered in Michigan jerseys for this week for Ohio State. They even paint the helmets with the stripes on them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything is about Michigan. And for Jim Harbaugh, he was even quoted saying, like, I think when he first took over the job and maybe his first or second year coming into this game, he said, we treat this like just another game. And I know that that's kind of coach speak, and that's kind of what you're supposed to say, but Ohio State's done the exact opposite of that ever since Jim Trestle came in. He said that speech, you know, in 310 days, you're going to be proud of our boys up there in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And ever since that day, ever since we started putting emphasis on this game, we're 16-1 and under Urban Meyer and Jim Trestle. Um, so I think just some of it just comes down to the emphasis on this game. We practice for it every single week. Um, 10%, like they said, 10% of every practice goes towards Michigan. They say beat Michigan every time they do anything. So I don't know how much you think it comes down to that, but – Personally, I think a lot of it comes down to just how much Ohio State cares about this rivalry more than Michigan does. You know, I'm willing to put 50% of the credit towards the emphasis on the game, along with, uh, you know, yeah. the preparation and the performance on the field. Uh, Urban Meyer goes to another level this week. The amount of hours, you know, the amount of time put on Michigan, not mm-hmm. just this week, but like you mentioned, throughout the year, is, is astronomical you know, you would have to say compared to Michigan. Um, this rivalry means so much to him. And I think it's, you know, because he grew up in this state, you know, he's great friends with Earl Bruce. Yeah. Coach here earlier in his career. He knows what it means to not only win this game, but he to lose. And I think that may, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> the feeling of winning to him. You there, KG? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. All right, sorry, I lost it for a second. We're bugging out a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. Urban Meyer, he grew up an Ohio State fan, I want to say. Great friends with Earl Bruce, which came to the forefront a lot this summer. We learned a lot about how good of friends he is with him and how much that had to do with Zach Smith, obviously. And, yeah, great friends with him. He uh, met Woody Hayes. He was a big inspiration of his. So, yeah, like you said, this game just means so much to Urban Meyer. It means so much more, I think, than which is interesting because Jim Harbaugh did quarterback Michigan, but – yeah, I mean, he kind of just takes this approach of it's just another game. He kind of does that coach speak stuff like that. But I think this is just one of those games that just means so much. You've got to put the emphasis on it. Um, treating it like it's just another game just isn't good enough. You know, maybe it could also be the fact that Urban Meyer has spent his you know entire career in college football. Jim Harbaugh left. He went to the NFL for the 49ers. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't know if that how much that has an effect, but I really, you know, staying in college football for your whole career, even though you may not be around the Ohio State program, you still feel the effects of the game no matter where you are. Yeah. So. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Um, so we'll stick with Ohio State Michigan a little bit longer. Maybe give some credit to some players. Obviously, we already talked a little bit about Dwayne Haskins, the fact that he threw for 400 yards, six touchdowns, went 20 for 31. But uh, who else? We got Mike Weber, the Michigan man. He grew up – I believe he grew up – I know he's from Michigan. I don't know if he grew up a Michigan fan, but he showed out in this game against his uh, home state and the team – the biggest team in his home state of Michigan. So, good game for Mike Weber. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm sure you're going to touch on this, but the one guy that cannot go unmentioned is Chris Olave. Yeah. You know, he scores the first touchdown of the game. He can run. You know, he scores another touchdown later, and he also gets the blocked punt. I think, you know, you think about the receiving core of this Ohio State team, Johnny Dixon, Terry McLaurin, Paris Campbell, K.J. Hill, Benjamin Victor. Man, it's got to be hard to get on the field if you're a receiver. It's got to be really damn hard. And you think about Chris Olave, a true freshman. You know, how often do you see a true freshman starting for Ohio State? Rarely ever. Getting two touchdowns in a blocked punt, that kid's an instant legend when it comes to the game. The star was born last Saturday, and, you know, he's only going to get better. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, like you said, he's going to continue to play, obviously, but if he was to retire from football right now just after playing one game, he would he would be an instant legend, and he'd be a legend for the rest of his life, And which speaks volumes to just the game in general, Ohio State-Michigan. You know, when you beat Michigan – if you make a play in the Michigan game, it doesn't matter what you did the rest of your career. If you did that, you're an instant legend because you beat Michigan. And mm-hmm. that's why it's the greatest rivalry in sports. But like you said, Chris Olave, he only touched the ball three times the whole entire game. Two of them were catches, um, and those were both touchdowns, and one was a punt block. So, I mean, this guy, he just makes plays. He only, he was only, he only made three plays, but all three of them were just huge plays to the game. The first touchdown, that sets the momentum, and then that blocked punt was pretty much game over. So that was a big moment, too. A big moment, too. And I know if you're you know, have an Ohio State fan, you're a big Ohio State fan, you hear Urban Meyer talk about, you know, no one plays on this team until they make an impact mm-hmm. on special teams. He's done that throughout the season, and he made arguably the biggest play of the game. I was in the stadium on Saturday, and personally, I've missed two home games in the past three years. Once we got that blocked punt, I've never heard the stadium loud. Yeah. I know Urban Meyer said earlier <clears> – <throat> in a press conference earlier this year, something about if you block a punt, you have a 90% chance of winning the game, which is just absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. The fact that he took part in three touchdowns is just something that, you know, we have to give huge amounts of credit to him. Yeah, yeah, that's something we can actually go into. You talked about the atmosphere there. Yeah. I've been one who's been very critical of the Ohio Stadium atmosphere over the last few years. I think it's kind of became – more complacent. They're just getting very used to winning. But, man, the atmosphere there in this Michigan game was absolutely insane. And like you said, that pump block, they showed – I want to say they showed block O after the pump block, and people were just mauling each other. It looked, it looked like a European crowd um, in a soccer match when someone scores a massive – like a huge goal. People were just jumping on top of each other and, like, mauling each other. The scenes were insane there for, the, like, the five or so seconds they showed block O after that pump block touchdown, and that was cool to see. And I'm just glad to see the atmosphere was where it should be. Yeah, I would expect nothing less, um, especially from the game. This game always rises to the occasion and never, and never, ever disappoints, especially over the last seven years and the last 15 to 16. So it was really great to be a part of that atmosphere. My last Michigan game as a student, something, you know, I'll never forget, and I'm sure everyone there certainly won't either. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it must have been a fun game to be at the game. I was at the game two years ago, and – as much as it was fun, it was a lot more nervous just because of how close it was. And I'm sure it was nice to just have a blowout against Michigan and really enjoy it. So I got a question for you. In the first half, we're driving down the field. And oh, yeah. The beginning of, uh, you know, we score about three touchdowns in the first half. And at the end of the third quarter, we have 41 points. What were you thinking, you know, thinking, you know, <clears throat> we have, we're scoring this much on a number one defense. Were you able to, pinpoint how exactly we were doing um or did you have to you know sit back after the game and kind of look at that i mean during the game it was just like utter shock and just i mean it was just like i mean elation like it felt like i was on some sort of like happy drug you know what i mean i was just so happy but yeah i mean in terms of like how i thought we were doing it it just felt like crossing routes and 
just pure speed. I mean, we were just so much faster than them. Any t- they play man, obviously, man press. And anytime we get that crossing route, if the guy's even a yard or two off the guy, he's going to catch the ball and he's going to be able to get 15, 20 yards because there's no, there's no zone man there to, to get the tackle after five or 10 yards. So I just felt like it was pure speed and it just felt like it was coaching too. We just completely outcoached um, Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh thought that he would be able to do what he's done all year and that would just continue to work. And he should have changed things for Ohio state. He should have realized that the speed was so much better and that he would need to change things. And he didn't, he just stuck with what he'd been doing all year and he thought it would work against this quick team. And it didn't. And Urban Meyer schemed the game perfect. Um, a lot of people coming into this game were calling for exactly what he did. They were calling for crossing routes, and they were calling for the linebackers to step off of the line and actually back up the line, like their name is, linebackers. Um, they were calling for a little bit more zone in the secondary. And, yeah, I mean, it felt like everything that fans were calling for and everything we've been clamoring for all year kind of all came together in this one game. Yeah, I think you could really see that on the first drive or for Ohio State. Yeah. Uh, you know, Michigan does man free and they do cover two. So they rarely, hardly ever drop four or five guys into, into coverage. And the way to beat that is those little crossing routes. And if you have speed combined with those crossing routes and guys mm-hmm. that can catch, catch, then you're pretty much on Saturday. Yeah. Great, yeah. Game, great game by Urban Meyer and Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day. You got to give a lot of credit to them. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. It kind of felt like in a way they kind of saved everything for this game, which obviously they didn't, but to a point they did save some things. And, I mean, I think Michigan was just shocked. And I think some of it just comes down to how, I mean, maybe how much pressure there was on Michigan because those those Michigan players looked like deer in the headlights. I mean, they just looked absolutely blitzed. I mean, they just looked shocked with what was happening. Yeah, you're right, man. Overall, I mean, could not be more pleased could not be more happy with the performance from our Buckeyes on Saturday. I kind of want to, you know, ask you a question. It seems like Ohio State has been in the college football playoff drama every year. And, you know, is this year the most controversial you think it's going to be? I know we think of back to last year with Alabama versus Ohio State. Mm -hmm. Is this the most controversial that it could be? There's so many different scenarios Mm -hmm. that can happen after this weekend and, you know, what is the committee going to place emphasis on this year? It's going to be really interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah. There's just so many ways we could go with this. I'm fine with just taking some time on this, but like you said, there's been, this is the fifth year of the college football playoff committee and not all five, all five years. Not has, not only has Ohio state been in the playoff discussion all five years, but they've been kind of like the main controversy point. They've been kind of like the main, the main team that's had a lot of controversy around whether it should be in or whether it should be out. All five years, it's crazy. They can't seem to ever go undefeated and just make it a sure thing that they're in. So every year, it's always something. They're always the point of controversy, and this year they are again. So, yeah, I'm down with you to just jump into some playoff scenarios here. And I think we start with what seems like the most likely scenario, and that's that Alabama uh, Clemson wins. Obviously, Notre Dame's already won. Alabama beats Georgia, and Ohio State and Oklahoma beat their respected opponents this weekend. Who do you think will get that four spot, Ohio State or Oklahoma? Oh, man, it's really, really tough because the committee can either go one or two ways. They can automatically write Ohio State off, which which they did last year because that disappointing loss to Iowa. You know, we have another one of those this year on the road to Purdue. Mm-hmm. They can they do that. But the interesting thing this year is that we are arguably better than both sides, but on both sides of the ball than Oklahoma. Oklahoma gave up, what was it, 713 yards to West Yeah. We put 62 points on the best defense in the country. You know, that cannot be ignored. But personally, you know, all bias aside, Ohio State wins by 28. you got to put them in, especially if Oklahoma barely squeaks by to Texas. I know, you know, the committee might say they revenge their only loss of the season. But, you know, if it's a grinded-out game, which I'm not seeing, but if it is, you know, 17-14 and Ohio State wins another, you know, 45-7, to I think you got to go with Ohio State, man. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you to a point. It's tough. Like you said, that loss, how much will that loom over them? And I think it has loomed over them. The fact that they were at 10 this last week and UCF was ahead of them. Obviously, Ohio State would jump a lot of teams this year, this week with what they did. But, yeah, I think it would come down a lot to just how much they view that loss. And it also come down a lot to – what they do this week against Northwestern. That's going to be important that they do a 
they kind of pull another 59 nothing as we call it, against uh, Wisconsin. But this time it will be against Northwestern. So, for me, um, I think the committee will take Oklahoma if this scenario rides out, depending a little bit on how the games go themselves. Um, I personally would probably take Ohio State for the same reason, the exact same reason that you said. I think, obviously, Ohio State's defense is better. Ohio State's defense isn't great, but it's a lot better than Oklahoma's. But then you can argue that Ohio State's – everyone's talking about how good Oklahoma's offense is, but Ohio State's offense is just as good, if not better. They scored 59 points against one of the worst defenses in the country. We scored 62 points against the best defense in the country. That's a great point, man. That's a really, really great point. Um, Ohio State has proven all year that they can score. They can score with anybody. It doesn't matter. Alabama, Mich- or Alabama, Oklahoma, uh, Clemson. Ohio State can score with anybody. But what it really comes down to is that improvement of that defense and the improvement of that secondary, especially, and the linebackers. And I think what we saw last week was, you know, the attention to detail. You think back even on the first drive. You know, Lee Harrison sacking Shea Patterson on the second down play. Um, that really set the tone for us over the weekend. I think the Buckeyes have com- have committed themselves to getting better at the linebacker position. And if the committee feels the same way, I feel like, you know, you got to put Ohio State in there. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be a tough one. But we'll get into – that's probably the most likely scenario. But we'll get into some more crazy scenario. I guess we'll stick with that same exact scenario – but do you think it's possible? Because, I mean, if you look at the makes playoff percentage, if you do this, you pick Clemson to win. Uh, you pick Alabama to beat Georgia. Notre Dame's already won all their games. They have no more to play. And then you pick Ohio State and Oklahoma to win. That Both Ohio State and Oklahoma have a more, a better, higher percentage than Notre Dame. So is it possible that they put Oklahoma, they put Alabama at one, uh, Clemson at two, uh, Oklahoma or Ohio State at three, and one or the other at four, and they put Notre Dame at five and say, Sorry, you're not in the conference. That's how that's how it is. You know, I think it really values how much the committee says they want the four best teams mm-hmm. in the playoff. You look at Michigan or Notre Dame's best win, it's against Michigan. Yeah. Twenty four to seventeen. We embarrassed their best win. Yeah. Sixty two points. I mean, if that has to say something. And then yeah. you go into the next, the next leg of the argument. You look at their strength of schedule. It's pitiful. Who, who do they have here? They got Ball State, Vanderbilt, Wake Forest, mm-hmm. Virginia Tech, Pittsburgh, you know, not a, not a bad team. Navy, Northwestern, at Northwestern, they get a nice win there. I mean, Florida State, USC, and Syracuse, there's nothing impressive about that schedule. Yeah. Especially when you play your best opponent on the first, first week of the season, mm-hmm. you know, they haven't even had time to, you know, polish polish the game plan off or anything like that. Yeah. So, you know, we want to talk about Notre Dame not being in the conference. They kind of have their one foot in there with the ACC. I know they're required to actually play five uh, ACC teams per year because of the basketball contract. But if you want to get in the playoffs, you need to join a conference, join a respectable one. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm with you. And if you – like you said with a comparable win – uh, they beat uh, Michigan by seven points, like you said, and we obviously just beat them by 23, and it should have been a lot more. But then you look at the only other comparable game we have is a game that hasn't been played yet, and they beat uh, Northwestern. They were only up on Northwestern by three points with like two minutes left. They ended up winning by 10. They got a late touchdown that didn't really matter. But if we can go in and beat Northwestern by like 40, 50 points, then the only two comparable games those two teams have is Ohio State blowing out both of those teams and Notre Dame barely beating both of those teams. I agree with you, man. And actually, if you look at UCF, um, they, they actually have two common opponents with uh, Notre Dame. And, you know, just to devil's advocate here, UCF has Navy and Pittsburgh, who is two teams that Notre Dame also played. And UCF mm-hmm. actually outperformed Notre Dame in those games. They yeah. won 45 to 14 versus Pittsburgh and 35 to 24 versus Navy. So, I mean, we're talking about Notre Dame. I mean, we got to. Not necessarily talk about UCF in the playoff conversation, but we got to bring that into the argument here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you got to look at the fact that they don't have a conference championship and how bad their schedule is. Because if it's Ohio State has that same exact schedule as as Notre Dame, I mean, they're going undefeated as well. Not, absolutely, man. No. Yeah, because I mean, obviously they beat Michigan, so they would beat them. And I mean, you like you said, Wake Forest, Vanderbilt. It's so bad, and part of it's not their fault because part of it's like teams like USC and teams like 
Florida State just ended up being really bad this year. But, I mean, there's nothing you can do about that as much as it's not their fault. But, I mean, it's not the committee's fault to look at that and say, I mean, there's nothing we can really do for you. Sorry. But I do find it interesting that if you put in a scenario on the, the 538, which is ran by ESPN, so, I mean, they must know something. It has Ohio State at a 68% chance to make the playoff. It has Oklahoma at a 69% and has Notre Dame at a 62%. Yeah, I agree with you, man. I, it's it's going to be so interesting. I think it's going to be the most controversial decision so far. Um, but actually, I want to ask you, you know, the most controversial scenario to me is one where Georgia beats Alabama in that SEC championship. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, does Alabama fall to four, which is – and, you know, Georgia moves to number one. That would put Georgia versus Alabama again in the semifinals. They might not even do that. I could see a scenario where they move Notre Dame down to number four and only Alabama to three, you know. So yeah. what do you think – is the committee going to put – is there? do you think the committee can put two SEC teams in the playoff two years in a row over Ohio State? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um I just put up that, that scenario in here for, and it says uh, Clemson would be a 94% chance, say they beat uh, Pittsburgh. Notre Dame would still be at 63%, Ohio State 65, Oklahoma 62, Georgia 99, and then Alabama only says 16%. So according to this, they think if Alabama loses, they're not going to be in. But it will be interesting they, if they value Alabama a lot and they just lose by three points against a really good Georgia team, are they going to put them at three or four and keep Ohio State and Oklahoma out? That's going to be something to pay attention to. I also think it would be interesting to look at if um, Georgia loses close to Alabama and the committee just says, you know what, Georgia lost by three points to a team that we believe is the best team ever to play college football. We're not going to penalize them at all, Ohio State or Oklahoma. Or not. Even though Georgia lost we're, and Ohio State and Oklahoma won and they won their conference, we're still going to keep Georgia at four and keep Ohio State and Oklahoma at five and six. Yeah, I think if Georgia loses, they're out especially if both Ohio State and Oklahoma win their power conference teams, two big brands of mm-hmm. football, and they have one loss. So I think if Georgia wins, they're out, or Georgia loses, they're out. Yeah. But if Alabama loses, I think Alabama's in no matter what. I hate to say it, but the way the committee has valued Alabama and Nick Saban throughout this college football playoffs, I, th- I think – Yeah. And I, I really hate to say that, too, because you think about – I read the other day, you know, the top three most highest-rated games this year, three of the top four have been Ohio yeah. State. And, you know, if you're going to act like money doesn't pay a little bit, you know, matter a little bit, yeah. do they want to have another Alabama versus Georgia game, you know, where their TV ratings might be an eight? Whereas, you know, you put all Alabama versus Ohio State in that one and four – and, that, you know, the TV ratings are going to be off the charts. Yeah. And I hate to think that doesn't come into play, but I feel like it certainly does a little bit. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I think it definitely does, um, which is a good thing for a high, if you are an Ohio State fan because they're by far the highest rated team in all of college football, which is interesting. I don't know how that happened. It's kind of been a thing that uh, – we've always had great fans, but this has become a thing that over the past maybe 5, 10, 15 years where we've went from some of the best fans to probably the best fans in the nation, at least TV-wise, we're always number one and. Even this game against Michigan where it was a blowout, they had an 8.0 rating, which was 1.3 better than any other game all of the season. Uh, I believe second was LSU-Alabama. But, yeah, I believe it does come into effect. Obviously, these people that pick this, they work for ESPN in a way, and ESPN wants the highest-rated games they can possibly get. So I think it comes into effect, and and I think it definitely does help Ohio State. But talking about scenarios that if you're an Ohio State fan, you're pretty much rooting for um, Alabama – to obviously Ohio State you want to win and then Alabama you want to beat Georgia and then Texas to beat Oklahoma because when you put that scenario in you get 99% for every single team Clemson, Notre Dame, Alabama, and Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just want to uh, – is there any other scenario that, you know, you want to touch on or um, – Obviously UCF was- lost their quarterback, but I think we could touch on yeah. the fact maybe Ohio State, Georgia – and Oklahoma all lose, which I think is possible. Ohio- Oklahoma is playing Texas. I think that's a toss-up game. Georgia should lose to Alabama. Ohio State's the one where you'd expect them not to lose, but we've seen Ohio State lose by 29 points to Purdue, so anything's possible. If somehow all three of those teams lose, do you think UCF would get in? Uh, 
Not a, not a chance to me, man. Um, Who would you put in there? There's no, there's no doubt in my mind that if UCF played in the Big Ten, they'd be a yeah. two-loss team. Um, I, they had the players are just bigger, faster, and stronger, and they're just better. You know, there's no, there's no reason to me that UCF should be anywhere near the top four, let alone ranked of Ohio State. So yeah, yeah. Who do you, who would you put in then if say all those teams lost? Would you just keep Georgia there if they lost close to Alabama? Um, you know, I'm looking at here at the, you know, any other one loss teams. I mean, would you have to take a look at Washington state, uh, out of the pack? Well, they, they're not even playing for their conference um, championships. Maybe Texas, if they beat Oklahoma, they could yeah, put them in. Texas because they beat Oklahoma twice, but they still have mm-hmm. three losses. Uh, let's see who maybe, I mean, I would doubt they would say Michigan. You know, it's, it, it would be hard to say. Let's just, let's just hope that's <laughs> It would be a crazy scenario because, I mean, you'd have three teams who by far deserve it, and then you'd have a team that is not anywhere near deserving being in the playoff. I think, I think the conversation would go right back to Ohio State, Oklahoma, yeah. Georgia. Yeah, probably. You know? Yeah, and it'd probably be Georgia since they lost to Alabama, who they think is the best team ever. So, yeah, I would say Georgia in that yeah. scenario. And it – and this thing actually has Georgia at 31% and UCF at 31%. So they're saying it'd be a toss up between those two teams, basically. So that'd be interesting yeah. to see. Uh, I don't want to see UCF in the playoff. Sorry. <laughs> it's funny. I used to be a UCF fan last year. And now with all their fans, they've just kind of like annoyed me and I can't stand them now because I mean, they just don't play anyone. Like it's so easy to go 12 and 0 when you play absolutely no one. I get it. They've won what? 23 in a row now, but you know, it, uh, it's one thing for, you know, to think people would take you more seriously if you put national championship 2017 in your stadium, you know, on rings, on banners. But it, if anything, it makes me take you less serious and pay less yeah. attention. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I completely agree with you. All right. So, yeah, any other playoff scenarios? I don't even know if there's any other ones. I guess one final one. We'll say Alabama um, wins. We'll say Ohio State and Oklahoma win. And then we'll say Clemson lose. I think Clemson's out, honestly. Because they lose to a Pittsburgh yeah, team. What were you saying? Yeah, I agree with you. I think they're out for sure if they lose. Um, Clemson's strength of schedule isn't there. Yeah. You know, they're, you look at their opponent even in the ACC championship game, it's Pittsburgh, correct? Yes. That, that's by far the worst uh, the worst opponent in the Big Five championship game. So, I think Clemson would be out. Yeah. Yeah, I think it would be very interesting to see. Um, let me see what it says here. Yeah, it's got uh, Notre Dame, Alabama, that. Ohio State, and Oklahoma being in. And, and Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah I, the, mo- the, most, uh, the most interesting scenario is going to be what happens if Georgia beats Alabama. Yeah. Um, what do they do with Notre Dame? And what do they do with Ohio State, especially if we beat them by about mm-hmm. points? And Oklahoma yeah. loses. It's going to be really, really interesting. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So, yeah, talking about just this is obviously an Ohio podcast. If you're an Ohio State fan, you're going to be rooting for uh, Alabama to win and Texas to win as much as that pains you. But if Alabama, Texas, and Ohio State wins, Ohio State's 100% in. And uh, even if Ohio State wins and just Clemson loses, obviously that's a very unlikely scenario. Mm -hmm. But I don't think Clemson can't – as much as people say Clemson's one of those teams like Alabama where even if they lose a game, they're automatically in. They can't be because Pittsburgh's seven and five. If you lose to a seven and five team, that's a similar loss to Ohio State, where six and six team in Purdue, and you don't have a uh, you don't have a conference title, and the ACC is just so bad. Their strength of schedule is just that bad. So, yeah, well, I think you're at uh, Pittsburgh beat Clemson two years ago. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So I'm saying, if you're a Ohio State fan, you're rooting for uh, Pittsburgh, Alabama, Texas, and Ohio State. Obviously, it's gonna be a great week of college football, man. We know that. Yeah, it's gonna be a fun one. So. um I guess we'll get into the Browns now. It was a great weekend. Ohio State blew out Michigan, the last thing we expected. And then this was something I actually did expect. I'm a very cynical Browns fan, but I said on this podcast last week, and I said on my other podcast with JT that I thought the Browns would blow out the Bengals, and that's exactly what happened. Um, the score is a little bit favorable for the Bengals because the Browns played prevent, but the Browns beat the Bengals 35-20 to in Cincinnati, a uh, Cincinnati crowd that felt like they were in Cleveland. But, yeah, where do you want to start with this one? I think you got to start with the performance of Baker Mayfield. Where else, you know, where else are you going to start? Mm-hmm. Six, two, 
yards and four tutties. Yeah, I mean, the guy just – guy ever since Jackson left, he has nine touchdowns, one interception. And he's got the highest – the second highest QBR in the league since they let go of Haley and Hugh Jackson right behind Drew Brees. I think we got to start – Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, the guy has just been balling out ever since Hugh Jackson left, like you said. I mean, he went 19 of 26, 258 yards, four touchdowns. And, I mean, almost all of those stats are in the first half. If you just uh, – if he – if Bengals would have been playing good offense too, and the game would have been closer. Obviously, I'm glad it wasn't, but I mean, he was just balling out on this defense. If it would have been a close game and they would have played throughout the whole entire game, he probably would have scored something like seven touchdowns, thrown for like 450 yards. And I mean, it would just would have been insane. Yeah, we do have to. Uh... You there? KG. Some technical difficulties there, but keep it going with uh, talk about Baker Mayfield here, KG. Yeah, man, I, I know we mentioned his stats earlier, but what I really noticed this week and the, uh, the improvement from the other weeks was the poise. And it's the little things, you know, things that I saw throughout the game and one one just small small uh, action I saw him do on Sunday was you know he did the little fake handoff and he put the ball behind mm-hmm. his leg and I'm sure you recall that play but you know it fooled three defenders and allowed for Njoku to be wide open for that first down and it's just little things like that that that's a veteran move and you know it's his what is it seventh career start and he's doing things like that I just I just that's awesome to me yeah, man. I mean, this whole team had so much swag, like you said, that play from Baker and just the way he carried himself throughout the whole entire game in general. But, yeah, that play was dope where he puts the ball behind his back, fakes out some people. The confidence to try that and only your seventh start, like you said, is unreal. But other things, too, obviously there was uh, uh, Demarius Randall. He obviously gets that interception, hands it to Hugh Jackson. Then he runs over to the Bengals. Uh, he runs over to the, the Bengals fans, puts his uh, – I want to say what he did um, – I think he like blew a kiss or something like that. But, yeah, this whole team just had so much swagger. They were pretty much just taunting the whole entire fans of the Bengals, all of their staff, all their players. I mean, they just knew they were better than them. They knew they didn't like them. They knew they didn't like Hugh Jackson, and they just shoved it in their face. I loved every second of it, you know. And this, I guess this, you know, brings us to another talking point of the game, which was the confrontation between Baker and Hugh afterwards. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's media the past two days, but – my take on it is the Browns have been the laughing stock for three, four, five years. And we finally have a team and a quarterback that, for lack of a better term, he's fed up. You know, we're fed up with mm-hmm. the, medio- the mediocrity and <clears throat> everything that comes with it. And I'm, I'm so happy we have someone at the helm who's willing to stand up for not only his teammates but for the city of Cleveland. Yeah. Yeah. I'm completely with you. Like you said, they've been the laughing stock of the league ever since they came back in 99. And this is finally the first team that's got that swagger and that confidence. They don't care that they're from Cleveland. They don't care that Cleveland's been the laughing stock for the last 20 years. They know they're good and they want to prove it every single time they go out there and play. And that's actually part of what happened. I know pregame they were fighting a little bit and some of the stuff, the Bengals players. Yeah. Some of the stuff, the Bengals players supposedly were saying to the Browns players was, man, y'all can't talk shit. You're Brown. Like you play for the Browns. And, like, some of the players were like, mm-hmm. what does that even mean? I don't care that I play for the Browns. We're better than you. So, like, why? you know what I mean? Like, so, yeah, they just went at him. And it, it was awesome to see, obviously, Ohio Sports Podcast. I talk about the Bengals a little bit, too. But there's no hiding the fact that we're both Browns fans. And, man, I loved seeing that. I, I predicted it all week that this Bengals team, this whole Bengals organization is kind of trending downwards right now. If you're thinking about making Hugh Jackson your head coach, then you know you're trending <laughs> downwards. <laughs> No, no doubt, man. No doubt. I th- I just think that'd be hilarious. You know, that'd be so ironic if the Bengals went went ahead and hired Hugh Jackson as the next head coach. I, I would personally love to see that for that for them because you know that just guarantees eight, eight wins over them over the next four years. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, hopefully they they make him a head coach because he was so bad at the Browns. But it was awesome to see. They didn't care that they're the Cleveland Browns. They didn't care that there's 
kind of this just making fun of Cleveland sports in general. They didn't care about any of that. They know how good they are, and they went out there and proved it. And they just smashed them in the mouth, and they made fun of them the whole way through it. They handed the ball to Hugh. They were talking trash the whole time, and they just had such a swagger to them. And it's not going to last the whole, you know, forever, but this team, they're playing with a lot of confidence. They'll always play with confidence, but right now they really had a point to prove with Hugh Jackson on the other, the other side of the field. And, yeah, talking about what happened after the game, obviously the handshake, and then Hugh comes in for a hug, and, Baker wasn't having any of it. And I saw it live and I was like, oh, people were definitely going to talk about that. And they did. And then I listened to Baker's press conference live and they basically said like, uh, you know, what happened there? And he said it was brief. And then they asked him, why was it brief? And he said, because I didn't want to talk. And they said, why didn't you want to talk? And he said, you leave the Browns and you go to the Bengals, a divisional rival and a team we play twice a year, an Ohio rival, a high state, you know, a, a state rivalry. And I don't like that. And you know, I love it. I love the swagger from him. I love Baker Mayfield, too. Yeah, I just want to get this comparison out of the way for something I've heard over the past two days in the media, which is, you know, analysts getting on Baker Mayfield, calling him a hypocrite because he left Texas Tech and went to Oklahoma. Uh, there is just no room for that comparison to be be made. Baker mm-hmm. Mayfield went on to Texas Tech. He earned the job. He was 7-0. and he, was, he didn't have a scholarship. He got hurt. He came back and he wasn't going to be given back his position, let alone a spot on the team. So he left. Yeah, that's near near anywhere that you know Hugh Jackson got. Baker Mayfield wasn't even being paid. So I, I just I just really can't stomach that comparison. And to be honest, pisses me off. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you. It's it's a dumb comparison. Yeah, I mean he was such a good quarterback for them, and then he got hurt, and they just acted like he didn't even exist and didn't even want to give him a scholarship and. He went to Oklahoma and proved them all wrong. And that's, I mean, that's what's so awesome about Baker. I mean, he went to Texas Tech. He walked on there and he played great, but then he got hurt. So they got rid of him and he went to Oklahoma and even bigger school walked on there and he played great there. And now he, uh, no one thought he should be the number one pick for the Browns. And he was the number one pick and then no one thought he'd be good. And now he's out here playing amazing. So he just keeps proving the data is wrong. And yeah, I mean, it's just been awesome. It seems like he's finally the guy. He's finally the franchise guy the Browns have been looking for since Bernie Kozar. Mm-hmm. And his personality just fits the fits the city, fits the fan base, and you know fits this, yeah. which is why I cannot wait to see who the who John Dorsey decides to bring in. Um, you know, as much as I don't know how you feel about Greg Williams, but you know he's earned the right to interview for that position, and he's making his case, and so is Freddie Kitchens for that yeah. in position. I don't know how you feel about that, but what do you think of the job they've done so far and, uh, you know, the job they possibly could do looking ahead? Do you want to see them stay there or, you know, bring in someone new? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to dive in with that. I think first thing I'll say is I definitely think it's a little too early. Um, three games in, there's always this interim head coach effect. Anytime your head coach gets fired and interim comes in, the players play fired up for that interim head coach. They play fired up because they've got a new guy. Um, It'll be interesting to see how it lasts. Uh, maybe there's still five more games in the season. If they win all five of those games or even four out of the five and, and sneak into the wild card, then, yeah, I mean, you probably have to give it to Greg Williams because the whole city will be begging for it. The whole city's already begging for it, even just after two out of three wins. But And these two great wins that we've I, had the I, last two weeks. But I hope that's not the case. I, I, don't, I, I don't really want Greg Williams to be the next yeah. head coach of the Browns. Yeah, I don't either, but I saw some poll that like 92.3 The Fan was doing for Cleveland.com and it was like, or for uh, in Cleveland, and it was like, who do you want to be the head coach or do you want them to keep Greg Williams as a head coach? And it was like 70% yes. Um, that's just Cleveland fans. They have, they've just experienced so much losing and so much, so many awful, awful years over these last 20 years that any sort of winning, any hint of winning, they're like begging for it and begging for it to stay. But no, I think you definitely got to bring someone else in unless something crazy happens these last five games and they win them all, even against teams like the Texans and uh, the Panthers, who are really good teams. But I don't think that's going to happen anyways. But if he, do, if he does go 5-0, and then, yeah, you probably got to give him the job. But I don't think that's going to happen. And I think you got you to go for the best guy. Greg Williams isn't the guy uh, just because they've won the last two games against teams that are not that good this year. The, the Bengals are the worst defense historically in the NFL history. And the Falcons have ended up being really bad this year. I think they're three and seven. So give it some time. Don't overreact. There's still five games to play. And I think they should bring someone else in. Don't overreact. Bring someone like a Matt Campbell or Lincoln Riley or someone like that in. Who do you think is the most likely candidate? Is it Bruce Arians, you think? I think that's interesting. Um, Obviously, he was a pretty successful head coach at the Cardinals. I want to say he was a head coach when they went to the Super Bowl against the Steelers. 
I think at least. Um, he's been a successful head coach. He's known as like a, a player's coach too, which I think the Browns need. They got so much young young swagger on this team that you can't bring someone really strict in. You got to have more of a player's head coach, someone like a Bruce Arians. It's what he is, and he's a culture coach too. He's very liberal guy. He's very uh, cultured, and he's very you know, he can bring cultures together. He can bring races together. So he'd be a good choice. But I also wouldn't mind seeing a young mind like a Matt Campbell or a Lincoln Riley in. But yeah, Lincoln Riley more has to do with does Lincoln Riley want the job? Because I think that would be the Browns' first choice, but I don't know if that's Lincoln Riley's first choice. Mm-hmm. You know, we could even bring him in as offensive coordinating position. I don't know if he'd be willing to relinquish that head coaching title, but if he is, him at offensive coordinator would just be a match made in heaven with Baker. Yeah, I think that'd be awesome. I just don't think – I think he would consider that a step down, and I wouldn't blame him. I think – even just going from Oklahoma, I know it's the NFL, but even going from Oklahoma, such a big program to the Browns head coaching position would even be almost a step sideways. It would, I don't think it'd be that much of a step up, maybe a slight step up, but definitely offense coordinator would be a step down. Although at the same time, you know how much he loves Baker Mayfield. So he might be willing to do anything. Just depending on how he sees it, he may even see it as a little bit step up, you know, because yeah. of Baker Mayfield and we do have a budding offensive and potential. We got mm-hmm. face two, so. You know, especially if we do, who knows, but we do end up trading two first-round picks for Odell. Who knows? You know, who wouldn't want that job? Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think if you're a Browns fan, don't overreact. Obviously, you're excited because this team hadn't comfortably won a game in three years. And now they've had back-to-back comfortable wins over against against a team that was 5-5. Five and five. Yes, they're struggling right now, and they're a little bit of collapse, the Bengals are, but it was on the road against a team that was five and five and you just straight up blew them out. And then the Falcons who, yes, they're having a bad year, but they're still the Falcons. They still have amazing talent on that team. But uh, the real question will be, can they go down to the Texans and put together a full game and look good there? Cause that's an eight and three team. That's one of the best teams in the league, a team that's won eight straight and you're on the road and it's a long road game. It's a far trip to Texas. So that's going to be a game that says a lot about this Browns team. Yeah, I can't wait to see the playoff conversation, you know, how it's going to ramp up if the Browns do go down there and get a W this weekend. Yeah, I honestly, I think if the Browns win that game against the Texans, I think that game is going to do a lot because if they lose, then they're pretty much out of the conversation. Um, what would they be at? I guess they'd be at four, seven, and one. Mm-hmm. I mean, they'd have to win out, and that's just going to be such a tough task. And it might slow the momentum down a little bit if they lose, but if they win that game, and you're talking about a home game against the Panthers, which the Panthers are coming up to Cleveland, colder weather. The Panthers haven't been playing great lately, and I think that's a team we can beat. And then you have uh, the Broncos, who we can definitely beat, and then the Bengals and the Ravens, who I think we're beating the Bengals no matter what because Andy Dalton's out for the year now. A.J. Green's probably not going to come back. We're beating the Bengals when we play them again. I think if the Ravens stick with Lamar Jackson, we'll beat them too. Yeah, these next three games will decide the season for the Browns, and they'll also, you know, show how much Baker Mayfield has developed since uh, the departure of Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley. So I, I, I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. It's I'm really excited, and obviously they're probably not going to make the playoffs. Um, mm-hmm. They have won two straight against two good teams, and I think the more important thing is that the fact that they're even in the hunt and that's something we're even talking about is awesome, and I think this is a team that has a legitimate shot at, at going really far in the playoffs next year. It's just great, you know, that uh, the Browns are back at least somewhat in the uh, NFL playoff conversation. They're relevant again. And, you know, these when these next two games, they're right, they, they're right in the mix. And I saw something earlier this year where Jim Rome, he has that show, Jim Rome is Burning, said that mm-hmm. the Cleveland Browns are the new America's team. Especially yeah, the Dallas Cowboys struggling to even get a playoff win over the last five seasons. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would agree with that. Um, they had hard knocks, and now they got all these players that people love, like Baker Mayfield. He's just an instant star, and you got players like Nick Chubb, who a lot of people love, and Antonio Callaway and Jarvis Landry, who had that speech in Hard Knocks. But yeah, and they, obviously they've been so bad the last twenty years that uh, people are enjoying seeing them play well. So yeah, I would agree. I mean, they are kind of America's team right now, and. People are really rooting for this Browns team, and it's just been a lot of fun. And like you said, just the fact that they're even relevant in the playoff conversation, even if they don't get in, is a lot of fun. And this is a team that next year is going to be really exciting to root for. They're very young. They're going to get one year older next year. And um, it's going to be really awesome to have an offseason. This will be the first offseason since I've been alive where we won't be questioning who is the quarterback next season. We'll go into the offseason knowing 
what our team is going to look like next year and who our quarterback is going to be. Yeah, I think that's something that we cannot take for granted as Browns fans. We like, we haven't seen that in our lifetime, and we haven't had an off season where we're relevant. And how mm-hmm. we think about uh, every year for the last four years, this is the most important important off season in Browns, you know, Browns football history. But mm-hmm. this off season is, means so much to the next five years and the development of Baker Mayfield. I think John Dorsey is going to get it right. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I think it's. I think they've already got most of the players they want, but it will be interesting to see that if they could add like a piece or two to really put them over the top and really make them kind of a Super Bowl contender for next year. And I know that sounds like crazy talk, but if you look at this team, Baker Mayfield's only going to get better. Nick Chubb's only going to get better. Duke Johnson's only going to get better. And Joku Callaway, uh, Jarvis Landry, they're all young. They're all going to get better. This whole team is young. They're only going to get better next year. And then if you can add like a piece or two, like an Odell or someone like that, this team really does have some, maybe some Super Bowl aspirations and, for sure, playoff aspirations next season. And I think it really um, – you look at Greg Robinson at left tackle, we may have found a permanent solution there. I know Baker vouched for him to be getting more snaps, and ever since he has, yeah, Baker hasn't had hardly any trouble getting rid of the ball, you know, on time and accuracy-wise. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, ever since he's – yeah, like you said, Baker, you know, he had one week where uh, – I'm trying to remember the guy's name that was starting there before him. I think Robert – Robinson or something like that, but he got hurt one week and then uh, he ended up playing in for him. And ever since then, Baker's been vouching for him and he's been playing great. So yeah, it's good to see the offensive line's been playing well the last two weeks. Zero sacks on Baker Mayfield. That's important. You gotta you gotta keep your your franchise QB healthy, and it's important that he's not taking a lot of hits that are going to be detrimental to his future. Yeah, and th- along with that, would you like to see him? You know, run a little bit more. Um, maybe just. A- you know, one or two rushes, three, I guess three, maybe four rushes a game to keep the defense honest. Or are you fine with how we've been, you know, play calling these last few weeks? Yeah, that's a good question. There's been some times the last few weeks where he's had like wide open spots where he could run, scrambles out of the pocket, and there's no one within 10 or 15 yards and he could easily pick it up, but he chooses to throw. And as much as in the, in the moment you say, oh, just run the ball, it's only 10 yards, you're going to get the first down, but you got to look at the future and the overall picture of, you know, you want to have this guy as your franchise QB for 15 years and you don't want to risk anything. So I'm fine with him being more of the pocket passer and someone who scrambles every once in a while, at least at the moment, for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm sure your opinion might change though, if we're on the road to that wild card game. <laughs> oh yeah. If it's a big moment though, you got to do what you got to do. No doubt. If you're, if you're even in a wild card game or something like that, and there's 10 yards to the first down and no one's there, then you got to run it and, you know, if you're not going to get there sliding, then you got to, you know, maybe take a few hits and try to run some people over. Mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't say I disagree with you there, man. Yeah. Yeah. So anything else you want to talk about with this Browns team or just anything in general? I, I think we really hit it all on the hit it all on the head there. I just I, I'm looking forward to this week. This game is going to is going to tell a lot about the Browns future and the makeup yeah. of this team and the grid of this team. <coughs> going down there to play the first team in NFL history to start 0-3 and win eight games in a row. You know, you beat that team and you're 5-7 five and seven, or 5-6-1, five, five, and one, right? Mm-hmm. And barely a game back of 500. You probably move into about, you know, third in the division, especially if the Ravens lose, maybe even second. And I, I, just, I just can't wait for him, man. I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. These Texans look really good and I don't think the Browns will win, but if they win that game, that says a lot. If you can go all the way down to uh, Houston, play a team that's won eight straight, play a team that has a ton of stars, Deshaun Watson, uh, JJ Watt, Jadavian Clowney, all those guys. Um, If you can beat that team on the road, then you can beat anyone in the NFL. So it'll be interesting to see. I think the only way we win is if maybe the Texans are just overlooking us and uh, I think that's maybe the only way we win, but that's going to be a big game. So I guess, yeah, that's going to be a big game, but also Ohio State Northwestern this upcoming weekend. Obviously, we'll have another podcast until that game happens. So maybe you want to talk about that game a little bit. What do you think is going to happen in that Ohio State Northwestern game? You know, I saw um, they, lo- they, wa- they lost to Notre Dame 31-21. to Northwestern's defense is solid, mm-hmm. but so was Michigan's, man. And yeah. as long as we keep our heads down, we grind this week, we have a great week of practice, we don't look ahead, 
<clears throat> I really think it's going to be a maybe not a fifty-nine to zero win, but who knows? I mean, Wisconsin's defense was better than <clears throat> Northwestern's current defense, so mm-hmm. I, 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 I think we're going to win convincingly. I would look for the halftime score to be about twenty-eight to three, and the Buckeyes to pull it out, maybe you know forty-nine to fourteen. So that's going to be my pr- prediction for this week. Yeah, yeah. So you're looking for that convincing win. Um... For me, it's going to be interesting. I think Northwestern and Michigan are actually very similar teams, the way they play, except for obviously Michigan is just a little bit more talented. So I think we're going to match up really well with them, but it's all going to come down to emotion. If this team wants to win by 49 points, they're going to win by 49 points. But if they come in overlooking this Northwestern team, they come in uh, just kind of thinking that they've already won the Big Ten, they're already going to beat this team, then we could see a close game. I mean, they lost to Purdue by 29, so I think anything's possible. I mean, we forget about it, but just 10, ga- 10 days ago, this team was a play away from losing to Maryland. They were a wide-open receiver in the end zone from a two-point conversion being completed and losing 53-52 of to Maryland. So anything's possible, I think. Um, but I think this team's going to go out there, and they're going to know they need to blow out Northwestern if they want to make the playoffs. So I think they will do that. But at the same time, I won't be surprised by anything. I won't be surprised if they win like 28-24 over Northwestern or even if they lose. But – I think they'll know that they got to get a big win, and Urban Meyer is the master of psychology. Um, he knew they had to get a big win against Wisconsin four years ago to get in, and I think he's going to know that now that they need a big win. So I think they'll go out there and try to just dismantle, dismantle them. I think we have the benefit. Uh, you know, the situations are so – it's so eerily similar to last year mm-hmm. where <clears throat> we have the bad loss on the road. And yeah. We lost to Oklahoma, but we still have a chance to get in. And we, you know, we didn't quite put up the points that we needed to, yeah, <clears throat> to get in. So I think there's going to be a, a focal point on putting the ball in the end zone early, especially mm-hmm. often as well. So, uh, yeah, I think um, we'll have this team ready to go. Yeah, man. I think honestly, I think if we blow out that Wisconsin last, if we blow out that Wisconsin team last year in the Big Ten championship, we beat or we go to the playoffs over Alabama. Uh, I mean, maybe I'm crazy, but I think that was the big difference. We only beat them, what, like 24-19? I can't remember what the score was, but we barely mm-hmm. won that game against a pretty bad could Wisconsin I, team. very easily been about 38-13. to 13. Oh, yeah. I mean, those long balls, and, you know, people are calling for Haskins to come in. Yeah. You know, but I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, I think if Haskins starts that game last year, this is obviously getting way off topic, but he starts that game last year and with JT was hurt and everything, then – I think they end up blowing that team out, and I think they end up going to the playoffs, which means Alabama doesn't even go, which means they don't win the national championship. And who knows what Ohio State does, and that could have changed the whole thing. But obviously, yeah, it's important to go out there and blow this Northwestern team out because say Oklahoma does win, and say Oklahoma is ahead of you in the playoff rankings this tonight, actually, in a few hours. Say they're five, we're six, but they only beat Texas by a point, two points, um, and we beat Northwestern 49 nothing. then I think – they could flip those two spots and put us at four and then them at five. I agree with you, man. I, I'm right there on point with you. <clears throat> I, I know yeah. a little bit of talking, but it's certainly interesting to talk about. Yeah, no doubt. And then just give me a few minutes on this Ohio State basketball team, man. How excited are you about them? I'm really excited about these about this team, but I'm even more excited about the job that Chris Holtman has done. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> You know this this recruiting class that we got coming in next year with DJ DJ Carter, who's a great point guard, as well as Liddell and uh, Gaffney. Uh, I think we're Final Four bound here within the next two years. The testament in college basketball to a good coach is a coach that can get the most out of his players. You know, when you think about people like that, you think of um, Mike Bray at Notre Dame and Bo Ryan at Wisconsin. You know, Wisconsin is repeatedly in the tournament and they made it to the final four a couple of times with Bo Ryan with, you know, two, three, two and three star players. Um, and that's kind of what we have currently here at Ohio state. And Chris Holman has repeatedly got the best out of this Ohio state team. We haven't had a letdown. We've had great wins and we haven't let it up at all this season. It's, it's, it's really exciting. It's really exciting to see this team back to where it should be you know, a program the caliber of Ohio State. So I can't wait for tomorrow night against Syracuse. Yeah, dude, I'm completely with you. I love this team so much. I mean, obviously they're not the most talented team, and I've talked about this a lot in the podcast, but this team plays with all the heart in the world. They play with so much heart, and Chris Holtman's got this team. He's the reason why they're playing with so much heart. He's really got them playing. 
with just all the effort in the world. And that's why they've won some of these games. And yeah, they play a big game against Syracuse Wednesday. And I'm excited to watch that. Uh, the shot's going to be probably rocking that night. It's going to be a, a night where all the students get in for free. I don't know if you'll be there, but the shot's going to be rocking. It's going to be a big game. One thing I will say about this team and its players is that you rarely, try, you rarely see a player do something that they can't do. Everyone on this team knows their strengths. They know their weaknesses and mm-hmm. know how to get the best out of themselves each and every game which, you know, goes right back to Chris Holtman and the job that he's done here in his first, you know, year and six games. So, Yeah, yeah, I mean, no doubt. Yeah, I love this basketball team. And um, obviously since my last podcast, they played Cleveland State Friday night in St. John's Arena. Uh, did you go to that game? I did not. It was sold out. Yeah. Those jerseys were awesome. Yeah, jerseys were dope. And, uh, yeah, the St. John's Arena was awesome. The environment was awesome. Obviously – Exciting to know we're going to start going back there once or twice every year, like Chris Holman said. So that's awesome. I love what Chris Holman's doing with this program. He's got these players playing with a lot of heart, a lot of effort. He's got us going to St. John's Arena every once in a while. He's got these dope jerseys. He's, uh, you know, he just does a lot for the students on campus. He's a great guy. And he seems like the guy to take this basketball program forward. And I'm completely with you. I think obviously the talent isn't 100% there this season, but the recruiting class coming in next season is number three in the country. This team's going to be competing for a national championship in 2019-2020, uh, I think. I agree with you. I'm so excited to see the players that are brought in, you know, not just next year but the year after that and how they're going to fit in with the current pieces that we have. You know, Caleb Wesson will be a junior and a senior by then. It's going to be really interesting to see how all the puzzle, the puzzle pieces come together and the, the potential for this team, and you know, next year after. Yeah, no doubt, man. You got anything else? I don't think so, man anything we can cover it tomorrow on my show yeah dude it's great to be on here you know ohio versus the world you got some good things going here so yeah man i, I appreciate yeah. you having me on we thought we had a great discussion yeah, dude, it was a lot of fun uh thanks to all the listeners i've listened so far sorry for the audio quality hopefully next time it wasn't bad but next time we'd be a little bit better maybe get together in person and do this you're not too far from me but yeah i'm excited to come on tomorrow and you'll see it should be even better since we'll just be talking about all the same things. Mm-hmm. And if you guys want to listen to the show tomorrow, it's just, you know, you can follow me on Twitter, Kyle Ghost, K-Y-L-E-G-O-S-E. I usually just tweet out the link there and uh, click the link, and it's a live show starting next week. So. Sweet, man. Yeah, so uh, tell them one more time what your uh, show is called. It's uh, called KG at 3. KG at 3, and that's on uh, Scarlet and Grace Radio or something like that? Gray Sports Radio every uh, every Wednesday at three. All right, sweet man. All right, that'll do it for Ohio versus the world.